Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Sandy Kemper, who will be sitting in for Matt Watson today. Yeah, taller, taller, uh, balder version. Don't have the fancy tennis shoes. I'm wearing my cowboy boots, but, you know, I think Matt will be okay. Well, you know, we, we always try to bring the highest quality guest possible. So I appreciate it. I was going to say, I'm still looking for that guy. <laughs> if you have any recommendations <laughs> while you're here, I Let think check that, my Rolodex. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, yeah, I'll take a copy of that Rolodex while you're at it. I, 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 it shows, so, shows you how damn old we are. Yeah, like I'm talking yeah. about Rolodexes. Yeah, no doubt. That's so sad. now before we get started here, a couple, a couple of uh, housekeeping matters. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io. However, because Sandy has been kind enough to come with and join join me today, we'll just also mention that you should go to C2FO.com. Very Very we'll say kind. it's co-brought to you by paid in full with Sandy sweat equity. So <laughs> it's the only way I can get on the show. Yeah. I've got to, I've got to yeah. bribe you. Yeah. With, with a free plug. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. Love it. So go to C2F, wait, C2FO, C2FO, C2FO. Oh, All right, cool. We're, three, we got the, we've met time. the requirement. Well, well done. And now we can talk about this stuff. Now I do want to say before we get too far into this, that your list of key points for today required Googling on my behalf. Well, I, um, I tried to keep it simple for you, and it's a couple couple of pictures there for you, but I'm, I'm yeah. happy you went to the Google. I'm curious, but yeah, the pictures are interesting. Why is this guy jumping off a cliff? Uh, I think that's someone pulling their hair out and their shoes are on fire. Oh, I see. Cliff, so I it's, a see pic- it's a drawing of an entrepreneur. Yeah, precisely. I get it. So I, you I, get it. You yeah, get it. I thought he was trying to fly, actually. That's really what makes you such an amazing guest is Optimism. that you do get it. So. Optimism. We're not going to talk about this for the whole episode, but let's just get something out of the way. Um, your company, C2FO, just raised like you know, something small, a couple hundred million? A couple hundred million, yeah. Well, first off, congrats. Thank you. Thank and you. I know that that's not what you want to spend the whole episode talking about, but <laughs> I, I think that I'm going to get yelled at by our listeners if we don't address it. But yeah, you know, it's, I, think, I think Matt said it the last time we were on the show is that it's not a raising is not something that you celebrate, right? Raising is something that you do in order to accelerate growth. And you celebrate the growth, you celebrate the team, the great stuff that they're doing. So I think it's, uh, you know, the best type of raise you can do is actually revenue and income. Now, sometimes you can get a little bit more advanced in what you're doing because the raise can push you forward faster. And in so doing, you can, you can accelerate future stage revenue. So we did this raise even though we had a, a lot of money in the bank from the previous race, which was also fairly significant, but we did this to accelerate growth for us, not this year, but to think about growth for us in 2000, uh, what are they, 2020, 2021, so that when and if we're, we're able to plant those seeds now with that type of investment, we're able to harvest a higher growth rate in the coming years. Now that's on the tail end of a, of a, of a not, I mean, I don't understand how you only got half that amount the prior year, hundred million yeah. and 200 million. Is this how you do it? Do you stack it up? Like we're going to go in 400, 800, 1.6 next I, uh, time or knock on wood. I, I think we're done. Well, I think, uh, wow. 
That's uh, that's something that, that I hear a lot of people say. And then every I've, time, I've, listen, I've been saying it for the last three or four rounds. Maybe I, this time, I believe that I sat down with you and ta- at your office and talked to you about this. And I said, "Yeah, I think this is the only money I need to raise." And you, it was you <laughs> that told me, uh, "Yeah, I say that a lot, yeah, and then it's oft, never true." So repeated phrase. Well, but it, it, you know. Once again, congrats. I think what you're doing with C2FO is great for Kansas City. And, and you know, I think that your product is, is pretty awesome. So Thank you. Thank you. now with that, I think what a question that a lot of people would have is you look at that kind of money coming into a company and how does something like that affect ownership, stock options? And like, why does that matter yeah. both as a founder and as someone that's coming in and working at a company like yours? So starting off with you, and you mentioned two raises that were of some size, right? The hundred million a uh, year ago, 200 million this year. In both raises, uh, we were able to have some secondary shares be acquired by the new investors, meaning it wasn't primary capital just coming into the company. So you've got secondary and primary. Primary just goes to the company. When an old shareholder sells something, that's a secondary transaction. In both cases, we were able to get secondary dollars into our associates' hands. So if someone had been with us for a long period of time and they were vested in their options, this was an opportunity for them to get some liquidity against those options. So you, you raise a really interesting point, which is I think in Kansas City and other places in the Midwest, uh, I serve on the board of a company as an example, a tech company in, in, in uh, Des Moines, I don't believe that we assign enough value to options inside the Midwest. And it's probably because we haven't had a lot of extraordinary exits. I mean, there's been some, uh, but but you look at the sort of uh, extraordinary number of exits and also a lot of failures on the West Coast, but there's there's always, there's more liquidity happening on the coasts. And because of that, uh, there's more wealth being generated. And, right. and there's a little bit more competition about who has what options, what those options are worth. The more successful opportunities we have to give people liquidity against their options, enforces the value of options. It's still the most efficient way to create wealth for oneself, much more efficient than salary. It also instills great ownership ethos into the, into the minds and hearts of the folks that are working for you. So it, it, um, you know, it's ownership and every, every one of our associates has, um, after a period of time, everyone has at least 3000 shares. Now the last round valuation was around $25 a share. So the lowest base of ownership in the company today is almost a hundred thousand dollars. Right. As as that share price continues to go up, and and of course, with that, and when we do give those options, every time we give an option grant, I'm I'm one on one with the, with a the team member, and I'm saying, look, your salary is for your job, right? Do your job, stay in your swim lane, go get great stuff done for the company. But we give you shares because we want you to think like an owner, mm-hmm. which means no one's ever going to say, hey, your tech or your product or your SRM, and you don't get to have a view on this other idea. No. You're an owner, and it has to be enough ownership that that individual feels like someone is taking something from them when they don't listen to their voice about what's right to do for the company, regardless of the department where they're located. I love anything that puts employees or participants in a position of having like a vested interest in the success of the business. And like you said, it changes the mentality from from being an employee to an owner. And it's easy to say, like, I want you to make decisions as if you own the company, but if you don't really feel that way in the end, why would you? Yeah, you know, I, uh, let me, let me, I'm going to unpack a little bit more and, and uh, maybe be a little bit tough on what you just said. I think actually you can't, there's not enough money in the world to give someone who doesn't have that, the passion and the heart for ownership incentive to be an owner. True. Right, because they're just a mercenary. Yep. So first, hire the people that are owners by sheer dent of who they are and, and how they think, owning problems, owning solutions, owning relationships, uh, and then figure out a way to give 
physical monetary value for that for that that way that mind and that heart works. So hire owners, but then make sure that you're not hypocritical relative to asking them to continue to be owners without giving them significant ownership in the thing that you want them to create. So that's that's how we've always thought about it. And we, we screw up all the time about bad hires, et cetera. Uh, happily, not too much, but but you know, nobody gets it right. The key thing is with, with the right mentality, uh, rewarding that mentality with, with options ought to be more commonplace here. It is on the coast. It needs to be more commonplace here. You know, and it's, it was interesting. We just acquired a company in India, uh, and I think the option pool in India was only six or seven people. It's 100 people in the company. Uh, so we, we talked about it internally and said, how do we think about this, right? Salaries are much different in, in India, but we say salaries are for you to do your job. Ownership is should be sort of fundamentally the same, regardless of where you are, what economy, what your cost of living is. Uh, so, you know, we've got folks in India making, gosh, $10,000 annual salary that now just received 2,000 shares and options. So a, a very different environment there, but yet we felt it's still important enough to give significant ownership, physically on fiscal ownership, to those individuals because we know they think like owners. So the the allotment of ownership interests, options, or what, whatever it might be is a hot topic with anybody that starts a business, especially those that are bootstrapped. Um, do you have any input and advice for like, I mean, take it way back to like, we didn't just cash a $200 million check. Like we're just thinking that this might actually work. I get asked a lot, well, determine how to get what to give up and for how much I'm like, I, I give some really, really basic input. I'm like, well, you got to kind of figure out what feels good and what feels right. What if you know, you're a lot more risk there than to, so we, we thought about things in the early stages as percentage of company, right? So you're, you're five or six or seven people and you're thinking about two and three and 4% ownership interest for your, your co-founders, et cetera. As the company grows, you've de-risked it, right? So you, you begin thinking less about percentage. You start thinking about dollar amount or share amount, and then it's dollar amount. And, and as time has passed for us, we've moved away, of course, and, and now we're thinking about it as let's talk about the, the dollar ownership, not the number of shares, not the percentage, because you can assign value to it. In the early days, there's no value. I want to it's, keep. It's, it's a hope and a prayer, and if it, if it works, great, and you're going to be well, very well taken care of. But you can't you can't take any of that to the bank ever. I want people to note that the number that you st- stated was one, two, three, four percent, not forty. And yeah. I see a lot of yeah. people like I caution. You know, now maybe that is worth it, maybe it's not, but you can't get that equity back in a lot of cases. And then, you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong or there's a lot of unproven things. Like you mentioned in the beginning, you can't really assign a value to it. It's not proven and you definitely can't take it to the bank. And I think the thing, you know, one of the more important things for those who are starting out of business and you and I have done that a few times now is I've always been lucky enough to be able to ask those people who are putting money in, those would be preferred investors uh, where they're going to have a, a, a place in the capital stack uh, above and before the common, but I've always I've always had success in asking them to give the same rights to the common in terms of uh, certain privileges, not the liquidation stack, right? Because if they're putting their money up and the common is sort of what you get for founding, you don't get to get your money out because you didn't put any money in, you just put sweat equity in. But as the founder uh, and as founders, I would I would advise when you're starting off, try to create a quality of voice for the common and the pref shares, not, not, not the quality of liquidation, 
but a, co- a quality of voice. And, and I think this is one of the places where, and I wouldn't go any further than that, meaning some of these companies where you've got some abuses happening, where someone has uh, a founder gets 10 times the voting power for their shares. You know, the old adage, power corrupts and, and, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I'm not saying that, that by, by sheer death, these people are corrupt. I am saying it's very tempting when you have mass control, you're not held accountable. So I would never, knock on wood, I've never asked for, and I don't think I ever will, ask for special voting privileges. All I've asked is for equality between common and pref on voice. Sure. Will you take a a quick minute, and for those that aren't versed in this subject, just define the, like, what's the difference between a preferred share and a common share? Yeah, so it's another another kind of fun, it's not fun, it's actually pretty, it's pretty complex and, and sometimes difficult. But one, one thing I would say to be very careful of uh, starting out is if you are being asked to give participating preferred. So preference is, say your company doesn't work out and you have to liquidate it and you've raised $10 million and they own half the company, right? Because you capitalized it at 10 and they put in 10 and now it's worth 20. So the common's worth 10, but you're only selling for nine. The common's not going to get anything. The pref's going to get their money first because they're the ones that actually put the, the hard currency at risk inside your company. So that's preference. And that's logical. Where I see problems is when uh, or where founders are, are trying to push the value of the company up. And in so doing, they have to give special privileges to the pref in order to get that higher valuation because they don't want to take any delusion. The problem is on the downside, you can get destroyed. Often... Um, folks would go to something called a participating preferred. And a participating preferred isn't just a priority to the common and the liquidation, but rather I get my pref, so I put in X amount of pref, 10 million of pref, and let's say you're you're selling for, in this case, the company is not selling for nine, it's selling for 30. Uh, I get my 10 out, right? And then I get, I get 10 also now in participating stock. So I'm basically getting 20 of the 30, so I'm getting two acts. So that's a participating preferred. I get my money out and I get to participate in the liquidity event of the sale. So in this case, instead of having it be 50-50, right, um, it's going to be, in this case, it's going to be 60-30 in favor of the PREF. So I was talking to an entrepreneur the other day who did not know whether they had participating PREF or regular PREF. And it was astounding to me that the individual who was the founder of the company couldn't tell me what his capital stock was. You know, I've run into people a lot that are, uh, I give, I give the advice to people that you shouldn't, you have to consider just as, as much what do you, what happens if things go really well as the mentality a lot of people have is how do I prevent the sky from falling? Yeah, and, yeah. you know, it's just like, you know, I, I feel like so many people are dealing with downside scenarios in their thought process. So what happens if everything goes exactly the way you hoped it would and then better? <clears throat> what happens then? And like, I, much like you just define some people are like, um, is that possible? <laughs> you know, it's like, a Midwestern founder. I mean, exactly. yeah, sure it is. But I mean, what are you going to do there? So when it gets, it gets to something that I think we've talked about before. And, and again, advice and counsel to, to folks who are out there raising or otherwise, we've talked about CAPSAC, PREF, common, et cetera, participating PREF. Um, I'm now, I'm, when I'm speaking to young entrepreneurs, my, my final wish for them is, uh, may they accept the lowest value they possibly can from the best VC they can possibly find, right? It's much better to have a great VC, a great funder at a at a moderate valuation than uh, a not so good VC at a high valuation. Because what happens in this world is the, the A players, this gets to your point about uh, what happens if you're really successful, the AVCs 
are looking for upside. Everyone else is trying to protect on the downside. So if you get a high quality, high caliber VC, they know that one or two of their companies is going to pay off the portfolio. The B's and the C's, they know that they're not going to get that rocket ship and they have to then protect on the downside. So that's when they start bringing participating preferred. That's when they start bringing additional voting rights. That's when they start machining you down. So lowest value you can accept from the highest quality VC you can find. You know, and that's such an interesting outlook, Sandy. I think that so many people think they, they get hung up on, well, what percentage do I own? Uh, that doesn't mean, that doesn't matter. Like no. what, what's that percentage worth? And, you know, it's, I, I talk to a lot of people. hundred percent of nothing, still nothing. <laughs> it, it, wait, hang on. Let me do the math. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're right. You're right. Put your yeah. shoes back on. Put yeah. Your yeah I, 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 well, I had them off already. Yeah, so I figured why not? Why not count? But yeah, I think that what you just laid out is, is a really important thing for anybody to consider that's trying to raise money is so much has to do with the people like find someone that has a huge vested interest in what you're doing and is not going to make self-serving decisions is a much, much, much better option oh, yeah. than about anything else. So, yeah, and the other point of advice is that if you can find uh, investors, maybe they're VCs, maybe they're not, maybe they're just really great angels that are, that are the best you can find. And then those are wonderful people to find on your board. And as, as advisors, find operators, find practitioners, not just investors and guys and gals who have been there, done that are immeasurably more viable to me than those who, who have ethereal dreams and ideas and, and really just come to the party with money. Yeah, Experience I get, I, I get a lot of feedback on that too. Then they say, well, I don't want to lose control. I'm like, why wouldn't you want someone that's in the business of making businesses huge and hugely successful to come in yeah. and help you do that? Like, do you, and I've actually opened a few eyes with this. I'm like, do you really enjoy trying to figure everything out? Or what? So what's easier, Sandy? and you can take your shoes off if you need here, what's easier trying to climb the mountain alone or asking those on top to just give you a hand and pull you up? Oh, brother, I'm going after the guys on top all day right, long. Right, right, And that's, I mean, that's the key ingredient. There's a, you know, that's one of the, one of the things I have enjoyed so much about my relationship with my co-host on mm. the show, Matt Watson, is Matt has traveled down a path and through waters and navigated all this stuff to an exit that was huge. Mm -hmm. And with that, there's just so many, there's such an interesting perspective and storyline and all that. And that kind of input and advice and perspective is what you should be looking for. Yeah. And by the way, it's super hard to find, right? I mean, well, right. Cause uh, not a whole lot of people have done that. So, yeah, and they don't have to, when I say operator, they don't, they don't have to be someone who has had a great exit, someone who has built something, met a payroll, employed people, yeah. dealt with the challenges yeah. of growth and lack of growth in tech or out of tech, in, in your industry, out of your industry, just get practitioners to be your advisors, get people who have operated something. Okay, so next on our list here, when it comes to problems, product or people, which one is the most important when starting a business? Yeah, you know, there's older I get, the, the more reluctant I am to give advice. And yet here I am giving all this sort of silly advice. Um, by the way, the, we offer a money back guarantee yeah, on the advice. If you get, don't like it or it's not useful. Right. It's, it's a free it, show, yeah. right? Yes, okay, yes, good. yes. Yeah. Thank well, at least it is now. But, you know, after this episode, I might start well, charging. I, it, this is good stuff. And like I said, the, um, for me at least, and there's some people who can optimize certain solutions, who can bring who can bring tech to something that already exists and optimize it, find a way to make a, make it better. Uh, for me, I've always been a little bit more um, uh, origin-based or problem-based. So always it's a problem. Find a problem. For me, find something that's just not working 
And, and if you're lucky, you can find people who also believe that there's a way to solve this problem. So for me, it's a problem and it's usually personal, something that really, really gets me out of bed in the morning. Then surrounding myself or being fortunate enough to find others who feel the same way and then building a product. So it's problem, people, product, and it doesn't have to be an extraordinary product on day one. Just get it out there, get it in use, get people using it. And I then, feel like uh, I need a little bell for when people should really denote something because the baby's always ugly, people. Oh, yeah. Just put it out there. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> there's so many famous quotes. Like, if you don't look back at your first product launch with absolute terror and fear oh, yeah, about like, what you like, put out on the world, then yeah. you waited too long. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, we, you know, we were lucky. So that it's, it's for me, again, uh, problem, people, product, and then giraffe. So giraffe is that entity, the individual, the corporation, the customer who sticks their neck out for you. <laughs> and, and, and this is the cool thing for us, you know, at, at C2FO, our first really large, big customer was Toys R Us. <laughs> that, that's fitting. And their mascot yeah. is Jeffrey the giraffe. Wow. And they did. They stuck their neck out for us and they helped us design product. And that's why when you come to our office, uh, you'll see a conference room called Snyderman. Snyderman is the individual at Toys R Us who helped us build the product for his company that then we, we perfected with them to go sell to others. And Jeff is still an advisor to our company, again, an operator. He's at a different company now, mm -hmm. but he's an advisor to us. And he's got his own, he's got his own conference room. And, you know, remembering that legend, that lore, get the product out there, get it, get it with somebody who's a friendly, a giraffe who's willing to take the risk, stick their neck out and then iterate. And it'll just get, it gets better. Get that, get that groove going on, on making incremental changes as you go. It does not have to be perfect when it goes out the door. Well, the reason that that's really important when it comes to developing, solving the problem that you're attempting to solve is the people that are going to use it are going to be your loudest voice and what they really want and what they'll buy. And without that input, you're guessing you're shooting baskets yeah, sure. in the dark. Sure. You are literally in a pitch black gymnasium yeah. taking three pointers. You're spending money, you're burning it, you're, you know, you're, and you're guessing. So put it out there, let it be ugly and, and, and own it. Like sure. say, say, Hey, I, we want to hear what you have to say. Haven't you found, and I have a few friends like this as well, who, who actually seem to enjoy shooting in the dark because it feels good to shoot, even if they don't know whether it's going in or not. And these, for me, the, the problem I've got with that is it, it you're kidding yourself. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Here, the story I was about to say is that I remember being on the phone a couple of times with the team and, and the boys and girls at Toys R Us and just full on battles on why we could or couldn't do something. And, and it, it's not easy, right? Cause you're, you turn the lights on and you realize that your jump shot doesn't look like what you thought it did in the dark. Or maybe you're not even in the gym, but you gotta yeah. have, the, yeah. dude, you've got to turn the lights on. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of folks out there with great ideas and the, and the motion feels great to them. But if the lights are off, if you're not operating with someone who is wanting to buy, and I love your analogy of about shooting in the dark. I'm going to use that again. That it feels good, right? It really does. I mean, you can imagine that the ball's going through the When net. you hear an occasional swish, you're like, yes, well, I'm the, the greatest well, of all just, time. Just take, take the swish out. It's just the idea of imagining. And we, we just got to get out of our minds, get into practicality, go build something, warts and all, turn the light on, see that that shot's not going, and then correct, correct yeah. the shot. Well, I think the worst thing you could do is like you mentioned, take the swish out as, as now in your mind, every single one went in. Yeah. You're like, yeah, wow, I am exactly. the greatest that's, jump that's, shooter of all time. And and, the, and that's tough, right? Yeah. Because it's uh, sometimes you can get into that idea paralysis where the idea is beautiful and you just don't, you don't want to put execution against it because you, you love this honeymoon phase of how great the idea is. But as soon as you put wheels on it, as soon as you turn the lights yeah. on, it, it does sometimes get ugly. Now, on the flip side of that, and since we're talking about interesting analogies, I'm very known for saying, and I'm not, I didn't invent this concept, 
to sometimes you do have to jump and then build wings. Oh hell yeah. Now yeah. with that, I do I have added a caveat over the years. Before you jump, just make sure you have the stuff you need to build the wings because <laughs> it's hard to stop and get it. Uh-huh. But the reason I think that sometimes that's important is the right time never comes. No, I hear the right no. time myth a lot and people are, oh, I'm waiting for the right time. That's just an excuse for why you're not doing it. Yeah. But on some levels, the impending impact that you're about to make on the Canyon floor really forces you to do a lot of shit that you, and do it faster and be serious about it. It's I'm no longer doing all these other side things. I'm like, I need to build wings. I need to build wings. I need to build wings. Yeah. It's not like, yeah. maybe I should go shop for wings or that maybe works. I should go in the bath in the gym and shoot baskets in the dark. You, you, you got to put it out there. And you know what? The other thing you've got to do is you, you have to fear, you have to fear failure in a, in a major way, but it can't paralyze you. And yeah. the last time we chatted, we chatted about a lot of things that, that, uh, that I had worked on that failed and uh, everyone has those, right? And if you are afraid of that, then you're never going to move beyond that honeymoon phase. You're never going to take the jump. You're never going to turn the lights on. So uh, understand that almost everything good that's happened in my corporate life has come because of failure and learning from that failure and, and picking yourself back up and, and going to do something with somebody who's maybe smarter, give you better advice, help you build a better company. Um, you know, and my, uh, my, my wonderful bride and my, uh, my four children, uh, first marriage was a failure. Second marriage, a hell of a lot better. You know, it's funny. You, you I learned. I said that the other day I was joking, uh, and my wife was near me, but I, I mentioned, I, I was at an event at the sprint center and standing out in the hallway. And I said, you know, man, I'm just so much better at marriage the second time. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, I think, uh, Chris, Christina said to me, who is, who, uh, we've been right now, uh, 20, gosh, almost 24 years now. Um, but the point I'm making here is that, uh, Christine said to me, I don't think I would have liked you, uh, in, in your first marriage. I, you know what? I think that's true with mine too. And I learned a lot of things, yeah. you know, with that, um, I think one of the things that's important for successful business people and entrepreneurs is having the support of those people around you. Yeah. Um, my wife is a saint, Jill. I hope you are listening because I did say that. Yeah, we, live we, on the we, podcast, but yeah, it's about patience and out sainting each other. Yeah, it's it is not easy. And that's um, they can be co saints. They're uh, all yeah, equal. And, they, well, they look and kids too, yeah. right? I mean, our yes, like, true. Uh, we um, I couldn't be married to me. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I could be married to you or me for that matter. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm not. Uh, but you think about the sacrifices that uh, that we all make. My 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 thinking on this has been a lot of fun to build a company around the kitchen table on day one and have it continue to become conversation at dinner around the kitchen table, yeah. right? Where ultimately, if you do it right, your, your kids are going to have some ownership. So you know, they better understand how the business works. I, I love the idea of having that, um, the family connection to the business. So to us, and I have a lot of people ask about how do you manage work-life balance? You know, there's, there's, there's no such thing as work yeah. life balance. There's a work life harmony where you can really rejoice in the things that you're struggling on in the business that are on the table. I've some of the best advice I've had have come from, you know, my, my I remember my, uh, I remember my six year old daughter who said to me the other day, uh, well, it's a long time ago, said to me, um, what is, what does this C2FO thing do? And, and I reached over and I, uh, I pinched her. I, I gave her some esoteric explanation about, it. I was like homogenous, uh, there's heterogeneous pricing of homogenous assets at disparate prices, right? And she's like, what? And then so I, we name, we allow companies to name the price for the product they want. And I reached over and she still didn't get it. And I pinched her. And she said, ah, oh, why'd you do that? I said, well, now, now pinch yourself. She pinched herself harder. I said, well, when you're in control, when you name the price, when you do the thing that you're doing, in other words, when she was the one initiating it, it was easier for her. So it's easier for that person to name their price when they know that's something that they're doing versus being told, this is the price you must take. 
So, and, and, and that was, that was that for me, the distillation of the company into you get to do what you want to name your price. And we described it in a way that was that which you're doing for yourself or to yourself versus someone else coming in and telling you what to do. So those conversations have always been very eye opening for me. I think, I think you'll enjoy this. Um, my daughter's been wanting to open a lemonade stand and I'm in, in. and I've been having a very adult high level conversation. She's five. (laughs) She turns five this weekend. But with that, I told her, I said, well, and you talk about like your, kind of your, your story with the pinch and whatever you named your heterogeneous. Yeah, no, yeah, like, fancy, yeah. Fancy there will be a quiz on that later. Yeah, it's okay. Um, well, you can look it up and look at the patents. I mean, it's actually, uh, what is it? Heterogeneous consumption of homogenous assets at disparate prices. Yeah. So that. It, yes. My six-year-old daughter looks at me like, yeah, well, <laughs> you got any more big words you can use, dad? Because you're, you're trying to you're trying to impress me. So I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I got to figure this out. So Dylan wanted to open a lemonade stand. And I told her, I said, but you don't know anything about opening a lemonade stand. She said, well, so, I want to learn. And she's wings. like that. So I took her a, a couple of weeks ago. I took her to the Innovate Her event. Oh, nice. And it was, dem- it, it, was dem- it was demo night. Yeah. And I made her sit through nine presentations from local female founders. Outstanding. Um, she wanted to give a presentation at the end. She asked mm-hmm. me if she, yeah, she was, she wanted to talk about her lemonade stand. Oh, now with that, I didn't let her do that because I was trying to let them keep their show. You, you on know, track. I'm, I'm an operator. I can actually help you advise you. I'd like to be an investor as well. well, that's okay. well I'll, I'm going to give her your contact oh, info, but you'll love this next part. So she says, well, daddy, what do I do? Which by the way, while we were there, um, Jessica Powell from the startup foundation gave me a stack of post-it notes and a pencil to, so Dylan could be a little less antsy. She <laughs> made herself a name tag. Come on. That said Dylan and stuck it on herself because she saw other people had names. Like she That's knew awesome. that she's like, I want people to remember who yeah. I am. I'm like, I'm, you're not even five yet. Dude, I'm in. I'm in. So, so at the end of this, she said, well, she's, she made me a, a, a one that said daddy. At the end of the presentations, I took two steps and I realized I should probably not be wearing that in that setting. Well, that's a fair point. So fair I, point. I took it back. Charming. But Charming yeah, I, I, well, I thought it was cute for a second. I was like, okay, this might be taken the wrong way. So I told her, I said, well, Dylan, you don't have any money. You need money to start your business. Um, she's, and she art defined to me that she did already have lemonade. And I was like, well, you might be, you might, be. I said, but you need some money. She goes, well, what do I do? I said, you're in a room full of people. Go, go find some money. Come on. She raised $6. That's outstanding. She went and asked. She, I didn't Stop. think she was going to do it. She just started asking people. Uh, Donald Hawkins tried to give her his wallet. I, I let her take the six bucks, but so, and this is, this is great. So we raised six bucks. I told her she needed to get five. So she's oversubscribed. Perfect. She Perfect. had six bucks. I have pictures of it. I'll post one on Instagram. Cause I think you guys will love it. Then on the way back, I was like, well, you got, you know, you have to learn how to keep track of your money and you need a business plan. We got home. She would not let me put her to bed without Perfect. writing a business plan. So we put the money away in an envelope and she wrote $6 on it. Yeah. And then she, I, she said for the business plan, she flipped the envelope over and just wrote sell lemonade perfect and i said you, this is done the, this is the done. best business plan i've ever seen that's right done. simple it's to the point and you're focused on sales right. so yeah i was uh and that's that's the balance we're talking about yeah. right as i said it's not it's not balance as much as uh, as harmony and enjoying that opportunity uh, which a lot of folks just don't have yeah. right? It's, right that's that's the joy of being you know, it can be very risky. We talk about, uh, I remember very early on talking about whether C2FO would make it or not. I mean, it's, I'm sure there's still risks as, as to whether or not we will. Lots of things can happen over time. But I remember at the table talking about, you know, somebody, one of the one of our children reads in the in the paper that she raised $100 million, you raised $200 million, or you're worth whatever you're worth. And and having the, sort of that existential conversation is, yeah, that's, that's maybe what it's worth today. 
we have to work to make sure that it continues to be worth that in the future. And it may not be. So letting them understand the risk is, the, the risk part of the equation to compensate for the, you know, the headline silliness of a hundred million or 200 million. And, and there's still a lot of risk in everything that we do, whether you've got a hundred or 200 million bucks or 10 million or a million or a hundred thousand, it, it can go away. And uh, in a couple of previous nights before that, we, because we've been talking about the lemonade stand for a while and I was talking to her about profit. I was trying to teach a four, a four soon to be five year old about what profit was. Yeah. And I said, it's when you spend more money than you, than you bring in. And she said, well, what happens? I said, well, then your lemonade stand would have to close. I, said, <laughs> I feel bad, but well, I was right. laughing. I said, but we, and we might have to move out of her house. And she started, <laughs> cry, and she started crying right. too far. Too I know, far I ahead. know that's sort of, but I was like, oh my God, but I realized I may have taught her a very important life lesson or just scarred her for life. And but, I was on the, the very first, one of my very first, um, technology company's big big move after i left the bank was to build a company called eScout that later became perfect commerce and has now uh, traded on the london stock exchange and it was an okay exit it wasn't great some people made some money some people lost some money and so it was not a, it was not a fantastic success and, and lord knows i thought it was going to be a, a pretty significant failure at many points and i remember driving by and and, and this is my point about fear being a paralyzer You've got to put it out of your mind so that when you have those fearful thoughts, you have to also have those wondrous what if thoughts. And the way you do this, you've got to balance it. So I, I remember driving by the school thinking, you know, here I'd been, I'd been pretty successful running a bank, uh, but reputationally I felt this was going to be a potential failure for me. And what did that mean? And, and, you know, wasn't making a lot of money back then, made some money in the bank, put it all into the company. And I remember driving by the school wondering if, if uh, I was going to be able to keep the house and my kids were still be able to go to that school. And that's, that's, that's what happens. And you've, you've, you've got to, at the same time that that's in your head, you know, it does to your point, you got to build wings, I got to build wings, I got to build wings. But you also need to celebrate those, the opportunities, the moments when, oh my God, what if? Yep. So for every moment of fear that you have in your mind, you know, let that steal yourself, let that be the thing that gets you to build your wings. But don't deprive yourself of the what if, right? So equal parts. Fear can motivate. Fame can motivate. Make sure that you've got the what if in, in, in mind as you're thinking about both the down and the upside. The first step in making a million bucks is believing you can make a million bucks. Yeah, sure. And that's that what if. And that's, sure. that's something that you know a lot of people have asked me over the years. And they say, well, what do I need to do to make more money? I said, well, you need to quit focusing on money and get good at something. That, that, that's a good start, but you also have to believe that you can do it. And most people don't uh, conceptualize, you know, like, what is a million? What is a billion? What is a trillion? And, you know, you think about it and you're like, wow, that's, that's a lot. So, okay. So you, you were just talking about one of the, your past companies and that was prior to C2FO. One thing that's guaranteed to occur over any timeline are ups and downs economically. What, what are your, some of your thoughts on how you can run your business in, around, or prepare for a recessionary yeah, environment? Good call. So one of the things that, that we spend a lot of time doing uh, of late in our company, and it's not something you need to get down, nailed on, on day one, but certainly year five, year, year six, whatever, how many years we are now, we're, gosh, we're 10 years now, focusing on the unit economics of your business, right? So you're, you can, a rising tide can carry many ships. And if you're in a rising economic environment, I think we, we could be we could be going into a recession. Um, I've certainly seen manufacturing inside the data uh, inside the data that we analyzed. It would appear that we're already in a manufacturing uh, led recession. We may come out of it as as the the federal uh, national banks, the uh, the Federal Reserve, and others 
uh, prime the economy by lowering interest rates to cause people to, to want to spend versus save. Uh, you know, two days ago, there was $17 trillion of negative interest rate debt in the world uh, with, with the thought that maybe the trade talks were coming back together uh, today with China and the United States. That, that number went to $15 trillion, but still $15 trillion of negative interest rate debt. So this has never happened before in, in the history of the world. And so that tells me we're in precarious times. I worry about it from, I, I, worry, I worry about globalism. Uh, sorry, I worry about anti-globalism and the rise of nationalism. And I worry a little bit about isolationism and what that does to the world's economy at a time when we're sort of balancing on a razor's edge with uh, all this, I, I would argue, false negative interest rate or falsely created or improperly created negative interest rate. So in that environment, what you want to do is focus on the stuff that you can control, right? So unit economics matter, that which you build. So as we how, what's it cost you to acquire a customer? How long do you hold on to that customer? What's the lifetime value of that customer? And as you get more and more customers, of course, and you're able to get more and more data, you're able to get smarter and smarter about what you do. Uh, and, and so for us, and again, this, is, this was sort of fundamental, the reason we took the $200 million from, uh, uh, from the Vision Fund was, was $150 million from them and $50 million from our insiders. Uh, the reason we did that was we felt really good about our unit economics. So our cost to acquire had come down 40% in two years, while our revenue per unit, per customer acquired, had gone up 160%. Okay, so that's good. So you've got the unit economics there. Your, your costs are going down to acquire that single entity, and that single entity is producing more revenue. Now, the other thing you've got to think about is how many of those entities do you have, right? So if you're just buying one customer, it doesn't matter because you don't have a company. So at the same time, over two years, the number of new businesses we brought in, the cadence of new businesses coming to the company in the course of a year uh, went up 95%. So mass acceleration of new businesses coming in, driving at the same time cost to acquire, cost going down, revenue going up, and lifetime revenue. It's, for us, at least, we've always we've been blessed because very we don't have revenue attrition. So the cohort of customers that we brought in in our first year in 2010 actually now make three times as much money for us and accelerate three times as much cash for them as they did in 2010. So with, with those metrics, I feel like, oh, maybe we've got something. We can put a little bit of money into the program and uh, expand globally and, and make sure that we're, we're, we've built a machine that works. Now we need to make sure that we are globally present everywhere we can possibly be in a globe. And that's, that's why we did that raise. And there was a lot of depth around the simplicity in what you just stated, but basically to revisit some of that, these basic unit economics are important at, you know, this is like, you know, what's it cost to acquire a customer? What are they worth? How long do you, it, keep, them? How long do you keep them? You know, it, but past that, there are some other things too, that, that I think that it's important to prepare for and, and looking at you, looking at even things like your own failure. Why do people leave? And if we're talking recessionary and you, we had Matt Watson here, Matt would actually tell you that when it came to Venn Solutions, an economic recession was what lit his business on fire. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. he, they provided a level of the, the solution and cost savings for car dealers that was extraordinary that their competitors did not. So their unit economics actually flipped the complete, like did a full 180 when it came to the recessionary look at things. And they were able to understand why people would leave, why they would stay and use that to their advantage when there was a change. Yeah, so I, I think you could, I think history is full of examples of great companies being created in recessionary environments for two reasons. One, uh, sometimes 
individuals get laid off and then they've got to go build their thing. Second, uh, nobody really, nobody feels catalyzed in a really lush time to do anything. Everybody's just sort of counting their money. Well, that, that was Matt. That'll be Matt's exact yeah. statement is talking about, you know, the car dealers and times yeah. of, of yeah. boom, they didn't care. They're yeah. like, Oh, we're overspending. No exactly. big deal. And exactly. that's, but that's back to that, that Canyon floor, <laughs> build wings, build wings, build wings. So some of these things are good. But it, when I look at a situation like that, and, and now I'm looking at the people that were overspending and okay with being counting their money, if you get your unit dynamics right and you think a little bit about your business, uh, theoretically, you'll have more money to count while oh, you're yeah. kicking back, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, and, you, and you can know where to spend, right? So if, if you don't have, again, I don't want to give advice because I know there's so many different ways to do things and so many ways that are good and bad. But um, yeah, if you, if you know that you've built something uh, and as an example, you don't have revenue attrition, then then what is the lifetime value of that customer? So for us, we realized we were underspending on acquiring. So, okay, great. You've increased the amount of new business that you're getting or the new businesses are coming in from X to, gosh, what did I say? I don't know, 2X in two years. We've increased uh, you know, 90, 100%. Could we have increased 200% and spent a little bit more money to do so, knowing that those that we acquired don't leave? And the answer is yes. So again, that's, that's part of the rationale behind that's when you know it's okay to take a little bit of money into the company, when you know that the machine is working in a way that, that can sustain itself and you've got the fuel to power the machine through new capital, new cash. And I think that's all really valuable, you know, in, in kind of a final statement with that, if you don't understand your own uh, unit economics, you don't understand your own business. It's right back to your, yeah. I mean, there's so much we just talked about, about the ugly, hard part of running business, right? don't you can't you can't play you can't play demigod with the basketball with the lights out you got to know that your shots going in you got to know what your unit economics are you got to know what your retention is and and importantly with all of all of the stuff we've talked about here and we talked about tactics and strategy unit economics etc you know the the great thing about um the great thing about being in a company that is sort of always new and, and growing you get to shoot a cultural arrow every day. So and then I don't know if people are going to follow the analogy or not, but imagine that you're a pretty decent marksman and, and you're, you're, you're taking that arrow out of your quiver and you're, you're aiming for a target that's a ways away. The arrow, the longer it flies, the farther off course it's going to go unless it's dead center. And very few marksmen or women can shoot dead center. The good news is, as in a company, if you're aware of this, you can shoot another arrow each and every day. You can shoot another arrow every conversation you have. So making sure that you're shooting as many cultural arrows as you can knowing that not always are you going to be on target, but putting culture in front of strategy. Now, obviously, strategy is more important than tactics. You know, people say strategy eats tactics for, for lunch. Well, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Get the culture right inside your company. Make sure you know who your customer is. Make sure that you know that uh, the why of your company. So for us, the, the why isn't the 1.2 trillion accounts receivable and accounts payable we have matched in the market or the you know billion dollars a day of funding or whatever metric you want to throw out there. For us, the, at least for me, the most important number is that the U.S. government said in their survey and their formulas they attached to early, de early delivery of capital to companies who are growing, the U.S. government said we will have created 110,000 new jobs in the U.S. economy this year just from what this little cadre of 300 people are doing over here at C2FO in the United States. That's that's the why of the company getting people the capital they need to grow their business. That's what that's what that's why we haven't had that much 
we haven't had attrition of customers, but more importantly, we haven't had a lot of attrition of our, our team members, right? Making sure you've got the why right. You know, people are going to stay with you because they believe they're owners and they understand what you're doing makes a difference. Get culture right. You know, I've seen a, a meme that has gone through my Facebook or LinkedIn or some feed somewhere a couple of times. And it said, it, it was just like generalist and it said, CFO says, what if we invest all this money into training our people and then they leave? Yeah, and then it, it says it, CEO, yeah, yeah. well, what happens if we don't and they stay? <laughs> like, exactly and, and, right. and Amen, I, brother. You know, Amen. I'm not much of a meme quoter, but that's one worth thinking about. Yeah, and that's, and it's, you absolutely. know, that's tough. And, and, and you look at different companies that have different sizes of people. And then you take companies like yours and ours, like you, you are in India and other places you're worldwide. Yeah. We have a, the majority of full scales clients or not clients are of our, of our, staff. of our staff are in the Philippines yeah. and trying to balance culture across different cultures mm-hmm. is challenging. And some, and I've spent a lot of time looking at that and, and how do you balance the, culture needs within your office, especially when you're providing services to another company. So I think about it a little bit like this, and and maybe this is a bit too esoteric, but but I was with a a CEO of a really large company here in town, much like Fortune, whatever company. Um, And I I was sitting at a table over lunch with him, just the two of us, and I asked him, so what what songs do your your guys sing around their campfire? He's like, "What, what the hell? What kind of question is that? So you can say culturally the stories that you tell. I think it's a little bit more romantic and interesting to think about the songs that we sing. What do we celebrate? What are the songs we sing around the campfire of your company? Now, as you grow, right? Think about think about a campfire. As we grow, not everyone can crowd around that campfire because of the heat dissipates, the light dissipates. Well, there has to be new campfires, and that might be in India, that might be in Europe, that might be in Asia. As you grow, one, there has to be campfire. It has to cause people to come together. Two. They have to be singing something. Three, we don't particularly care about the the accent or the tonal differences, but we want to make sure the words are right. Right? The the lyric, the the lilt of it, that can be that can be unto you to do to to establish. The first, make sure that they're campfires. Second, make sure that people are singing around. Third, make sure they're using the same words and everything else will fall into place. You know, we following some similar mentality with that and trying to address you know, having a good culture at full scale, it was actually at the CEO retreat for the Kansas City Tech Council. They brought someone in from Gartner or someone, and mm-hmm. we were talking about uh, being client obsessed, which sounds one-sided at first, but the data supported that people want to come to work with a purpose mm-hmm. and they want to feel like what they're doing is important, that it matters and it's impactful yeah. upon like every, because yeah, especially when you're in a remote environment, like you write some code, you push a button and it goes halfway around the world and you might not fully understand the impact that it has. So that's something that, that I feel has been great for us. Now with that, I, you know, so when I'm in Cebu, I'll talk about that. Be, be obsessed with your client success, but do it within the reasonable realm of your own happiness. This doesn't mean work 300 hours a month, but care, like think about it. Like what can I, because if you can do things, especially in like a service business as well, if you feel that the people that are providing services for you care, 
or or she or whether regardless of what it is, mm-hmm. if you feel like there's a level of caring, there's well, first off, that's tough to teach or train. You, you care or you don't. You, you it's kind hire of, for it. Yeah, it's tough. It. So we look for that. But with that, you're a lot more understanding and accepting of things not being perfect or right all the time. Like if I feel like you yeah. care and yeah, you yeah, fail, sure. I'm like, for okay, sure. cool. Let's let's try again. Yeah. If I feel like we're failing because you don't care, oh man. It's not the best reaction that I get over time. No, so, it's clear. It's yeah. clear that you you've built something where the culture feels, at least in the conversations we've had, uh, very similar uh, in Cebu and here in Kansas City. So, it, and I think a lot of that is a hiring, b making sure that the, the as we said, the words and the songs are, are there, uh, but but nailing hiring. Uh, yeah. Make, oh man, sure we're real. Spend, we've become real picky with that, and yeah. with that, it's about communication, and and also, like I said, it's a, it's tough to gauge whether people care. But I think that's like the number one intang- intangible quality that that yeah. I look for when I hire someone, and you know, and I also possibly when I fire someone. Yeah. You know, it's like, and and I'm gonna put up with your shit a lot longer if I think that you care. Um, just because like, I, I've learned to value sure. that over time. Um, yeah. And one of the challenges like at full scale is we kind of, at this point, we almost have like 40 companies inside one company because mm-hmm. yeah, all, because of the way, well, the way yeah. we're set up because yeah. our, our developers work exclusively for the companies that they work for. We even identify them yeah. as being on the XYZ team and, you know, like, and that's, that's mm-hmm. what they identify with. So, and that's tough too, because some clients actually bring, well, we have one client that if the, anything they do, they have a large team with this, anything they do here, they do for the team in Cebu. Yeah. So I'll get a, I'll see, I'll look at our management report and it'll say like, and it'll be our manager, spend an hour uh, or organizing a pizza party for this team. But I think it's so freaking cool that they really do important. that because yeah. they're same way, same way we operate. And by the way, not one person has come off of that team. They Love have that. a 100% yeah. retention rate on the team. So that's another thing that's tough. That's one of the things we're looking at as we bring in new clients. So it makes a huge difference. It's, yeah. why, it's why we did what we did with our, our, our new folks in India. They have that ownership position mm-hmm. that everyone else has, even though cost of living and salaries in India are much less than cost of living yeah. and salaries in the United States. So we didn't have to. And we actually, it's not done that much in India, which is so interesting for me because I think that that nation wants to build uh, consumption wealth. In other words, they want to, they want to create uh, consumers. And well, one of the great ways that you can you can create wealth isn't through salary; it's through equity. And it's certainly a more efficient way to do it here. So I, I'm really stunned that the culture of of ownership and options is not as widely spread as I would have thought in a country that has the aspirations that India has. So when I was in uh, Belarus last year, which once part of the Soviet Union, now ripe with capitalism, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that, you know, the and there's a lot of really talented people over there. I was kind of thinking that, that might be a good place to, for us to expand. Hmm. But one thing that was really present with everyone there is everyone's like, no matter what they wanted to do, they're like, yeah, do I get options? Really? Yeah. Smart. Yeah. And, and now they, I think some of that is, you know, as I was looking for real estate and different stuff like that, I went to one building and I was like, well, who else is in this building? They were like, well, Uber has floors five, six, seven, and eight, <laughs> you know? And so I'm like, okay, now late, I see where, I see where a lot exactly. of this came from, but yeah, but we ended up not doing business there because some of that, uh, some of that, it's very easy to enter that mark, that, uh, market. There's no, not a whole lot of barriers uh, to entry. So, well, I created an entity the next day I was there just cause I felt like I should while I was there. And we ended up 
turning it off, but it was that simple. Wow. Like it was super fast. It was almost like trying to get an EIN, you know, you couldn't just call and they give it to you while you're on the phone. I was like, okay. Wow. That's, yeah. So, I, I did not know that. Yeah. It was, it, yeah. It was, it, take a look at it. so you do not buy Belarus. Wow. No, easy. you can. No, too easy. Actually, there was really, really smart people there. And, uh, you know, it's always a subject of how did certain communities and how did certain regions of the country or of the world develop these massive, like almost surpluses of, of and, smart people. Smart people yeah. uh, when I, so I, I wanted to figure that out. And I do have one employee in Belarus that works hmm. for Gigabook and he's hmm. our product manager. And hey, Paul, he's been with us for a long time. He's the reason the product is successful. But I got into this with folks and I said, I got to figure out how are there so many smart people here? Why do you have so many programmers? Like they took our assessment test. We almost had to make a new one. Cause they were just crushing it. But I, but I asked, so they said, they, the one guy says to me, he goes, well, when you were in school, did you have, he goes, then imagine a Russian accent. He's like, did you have study hall? Did you do home economics? And I was like, yeah, I did both. He goes, yeah, I had a second math and a second science mm -hmm, class. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, wow. So I get it. Same, same story for me when I, had... but that was culture driven though. Oh, no, dude, they wanted was... to win the culture. Very, man. very early yeah. on, and uh, I guess it was at eScout. One of one of the guys who was just tremendous that followed me from UMB at eScout, and had me to dinner after he was married. And you know, we we're looking through the marriage pictures, and I just would, I was so taken with how wonderful and charming and smart. I said, "How is it that every one of the the team members we have, and we had a, a fair number of folks from from India of, of origin, inside eScout?" And I said, how, "What?" The, What's the secret? He goes, he says, you know, as you said in in, in, in Indian accent, he said, Sandy, uh, when you are one in a thousand in India, uh, there are still, uh, no, you're one in, so we said, sorry, I screwed it up. <laughs> we said, Sandy, I can't remember it probably. Sandy, when you are one in a million in India, there are still 1,500 other people just like you. Yeah. So, I mean, wow. Yeah. All right. So, you have to press to get ahead, right? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the cool thing about some of these economies and, and places we're talking about. Grit. You were talking about, mm -hmm. I, I don't know how, what the proxy is for hiring for care, but I love seeing people who have overcome difficulty. Yeah. I like to, to say entrepreneurs with scars. Yeah, for sure. Like I, I have a lot of respect for that. And I steer away from people that have yet to actually, because you failed does not exclude you from anything later in life. In many ways, it includes you. Yeah, for sure. Because I don't sure. want to put a whole lot of resource um, or take a lot of risk on someone that hasn't failed because they operate still as if they're bulletproof. Lights are off. And yeah, lights are off. But until you've like, well, just because uh, we mark this explicit until you get kicked in the nuts, you don't really understand how bad that can hurt. <laughs> so you might not be afraid of it. And then yeah. suddenly you learn that and you're like, okay, maybe I shouldn't do that again. Okay. So based on grit and, and all that, let's, let's end this and we'll, we'll play a game here. Uh, we'll play, that we're going to rank some qualities. Right. All right. Yeah, and yeah. so we have curiosity, intellect, empathy, passion, and tenacity. And we are going, so much like we were playing a video game, mm -hmm. we're going to create our avatar here. Right. And, in. and in. so that now avatar for, for a great entrepreneur. Well, we can do this. We can do, let's do this two ways actually. So we'll rank them from, from one to five. And yeah, I actually just like mentally counted down that list. I was like, wow. So my shoe is back on. Okay, so I'm good. struggling. Well done. So go. we'll do this. We can, we're going to go one to five, but then we'll also say we have 100% of someone. Okay. So that can make it a, that's a little, a little twist to the ranking. Yeah, so you can give 100 points 
Hmm. to these categories now a new new twist i haven't done this one that well you know sandy anytime you come by to startup hustle it's my goal to challenge you intellectually because i you know yeah because that's clearly and i do want to point out um thank you for preparing the show in many ways (laughs) like um and making me have to google things most time people show up and they're like cool what do we do (laughs) um and from now i'm going to say you should have emailed sandy I'm will, happy to do it for you. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> just, you know, there might have to be an India or China or something. If you have to yeah, put it, if you have to delegate it or yeah. something, I get no, it. It's fine. It's fine. All right. So, curi- I, so we have curiosity, we have intellect, intellect, we have empathy. And now, by the way, empathy is defined as, you know, being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Yeah, of course. You have passion and tenacity. Now, That's passion and tenacity, I let's talk about each first. So curiosity is maybe the ability to try something new. Yeah. yeah to exactly. explore. To be, well, and to to be interested in other things, right? Yeah, yeah. To understand, to want to know more. Yeah, to not be afraid to try something a little different. Yeah, or or, to, yeah. yeah to have, yeah. For, at least for me, it's, you know, that that is the asking why. Right, right. Like, why is the system broken or what's up, right? Sorry, curiosity. Okay, yeah. intellect is just, yeah, the, yeah. we'll Horse just power. call that you're, you're yeah. smart. Brain power. And, and, like, and there's different kinds. I think intellect, like there's book smart, street smart. I don't think that street smart is truly intellect I agree. in the way that we'll define yeah, it here. Let's, let's, let's bracket this intellect to mean uh, IQ. Yeah, yeah. Like the guy that yeah. like writes the algorithm that no one else could. Right. Um, and actually, like most of the people that I run into at your office when I come by to visit, and I'm <laughs> yeah, like, wow, I, I left your office last time. And I can't remember who we talked to there. And I thought I was like, God, I got a lot of shit to learn. All right. So empathy. How I feel every day. <laughs> empathy is, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, that's that's that matters. Yeah. Passion. Um, let's define that as like, like truly having a true ability to be involved in whatever, what maybe whatever problem you're solving or the activity. Yeah. Or to be you, all in, to right, be all right. in. I mean, I'm, 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 it's not, I'm not going to go into this with, with sort of tepid feet. I'm going to go in passionately wanting to solve or passionately yeah. wanting to do right. I'm, I'm all in. And then tenacity is grit. Yeah, like you defined it. Is, is that fair? Exactly, exactly. Okay. So what do you, should we, should we play tandem or do we need like, do we need a couple yeah, seconds to rank them? Cause like, I know what I, truth. I know what I have first and second. So actually. truth, truth told on this, I've, I've played this game a fair amount and it's something that we, we talk about a lot with young entrepreneurs inside our shop. And, um, my, my rankings have changed over time. I, I would say mine probably would too. Yeah. And so, the one that stayed constant for me is uh, number one for me is curiosity. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I believe passion. Okay. I, I just, because I, I, I think it's maybe more firsthand. Um, it, it's, if you're not passionate about what you're trying to do, it's easy to quit. It's easy to get down. And I think that passion drives you. Well, I you know, that's yeah. tenacity. So you're a passion, but it's, yeah. it's easy to get down, but tenacity is what's going to lift you back up. Right. right? right so right. you get up, take the punch, get up and go. All right, so, I mean, well, then I, what's I like, your number two? Because like, look, like, tenacity I, is my I, number I two. Like, I like passion, but I think yeah. it can be misdirected. And I think if yes. you're super passionate yes. about stuff, yeah, it's not curious also about emotional. What you're to solve. Yeah, passion so, and emotion hold hands. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curiosity. Uh, and then, um, you know, well, it, it, my number two is tenacity. I want passion yeah. and tenacity. Yeah. And my number two is tenacity. Yeah. And I was, I was going to say the, um, the thing that's changed for me and it's rising up. Um, you know, from probably the bottom of the list, the way I thought 10 years ago is empathy. 
Uh, that's my number three. Yeah. So it's a, and, it's and a fast by the way, and I almost, I almost moved it into number two. 10 years ago, empathy was probably my number five. Yeah. It was. For and me I've too. learned a lot and Precise. I, and I, empathy's tough because in order to be a good leader to be an entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur, you're at some point going to probably have to be a good leader. Yeah. And it's impossible to do that with zero empathy. Well, and my and, wife always gets after me for this, your, but your, I try. As your, company, as your company grows, you have to, yeah. I mean, now you're dealing with human capital, not yes. just intellectual capital mm -hmm. or financial capital. So you're, you're, you're wrong. So empathy is your number three. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe getting close to surpassing tenacity, but right now I'm going to leave it as number three. And the other okay. was intellect. And what was the, what was the other one? Well, left for, yeah. for, for you is intellect and passion. Now for yeah. me, number curiosity is number four. Okay, so I'm going to go. I'm going to flip. So you and I are the same, except we're going to flip these two. I'm going to put. I'm going to put uh, passion number four. I'm going to put intellect number five. Okay, and then my number five was also intellect. I'm curious now. Tell me if your reason Does is that the same word as mine. Curious, right? Go. Okay, look. If you're passionate, passionate and tenacious, you're going to get through a lot of hard times. If you're empathy, if you have empathy, you will understand what your employees and your clients need. Um, if you're curious, you're willing to try new things. And the reason I have intellect last is because if I get those first four, right, I can hire a hell of a lot of smart people, For sure. especially people that are smarter than me. But I think curiosity is a little bit of a hack for, uh, intellect as well, right? If sure. you're, if you're curious, you're probably yeah. thinking, yeah. uh, deeply or at least semi deeply about things. So uh, a lot of, a lot of really smart people out there sometimes can't take the leap off the cliff because right. they know the odds of doing something usually are it's going to end in failure and really really smart people want to be the smart people of the room yeah. so sometimes failure to act ensures that they don't fail right and that's not and really smart, the right smart way. people don't want so, to fail so i, I yeah I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for those who have great intellect uh, but I've seen it backfire often because uh, you know, look in, in the end I, I think McKenzie Urbain just came out in a fascinating study said that uh, as leaders and great managers, anything above a 126 IQ actually diminishes your ability to lead and manage. Well, no wonder I'm good at those things. Exactly. And <laughs> there's, hope, there's, there's, there's hope for me. Hope. So just to recap, so DeCourcy had passion, tenacity, empathy, curiosity, and intellect in that order. Mr. Kemper went with curiosity, tenacity, Empathy, empathy, passion, and then intellect. So we just we just yeah. flopped uh, curiosity and passion. We're very similar, except I put curiosity as number one. You put passion as number one. So we don't have to spend too much time on this, but if you had 100 points, where do you put the majority at? Like, because the ranking them and where you mm. would. Where, so this one, this is a new game for me. This I, is I the avatar. This I is that avatar that. moment. That. Now, but you have to paint the mental picture because here's Sandy, who, by the way, but prior to the episode, did show us very convincing pictures of him looking just like Mr. Clean. <laughs> Like, I mean, that's, I, it, that's a good, well, good way to end so, this. Thanks yeah. But this is how I want people to picture your avatar <laughs> on this game <laughs> hands is, on, is hands on hip. So uh, Mr. Clean think. has five, has five little energy bars like you would, I'm, and you get to fill this up and build your player. I'm, you know, I, I really don't like, uh, I don't like sort of spreading this out. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be you know, a little bit controversial here and I'm not going to take the easy answer and say, you know, 2020, 20. I, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to heavy up on my curiosity. I'm going to go 40, curious, 25-ish, uh, maybe even 30, tenacious. So what am I at now? That's going to give me That's 70, 70. And I'll go 10, 10, and 10. Okay. So the Mr. Clean-looking avatar has got a score of 40 for curiosity, 
we're rebuilding ourselves or a different entrepreneur. We got to see ourselves in this, right? Depends how self-aware we are. If I had to build, if I had to build one of those based on my reality, I'd be like ninety percent passion, nine nine for tenacity, and like a point three three for everything else. But if we were building what I needed, I'd be heavying up on it. Yeah, that's what we're wanting to do. Is yeah. So so I'm I'm, uh, ten ten ten. Well, I'm gonna go. No, sorry, I'm gonna. I got it. I'm gonna make it even better. I'm gonna go twenty five five. What's the twenty? Empathy. Okay. It's my fast riser. And by the way, and thanks for not being a turd and going up to 110 and saying, no matter what you do, you give 110% (laughs) because I would, I have people, I've had people do stuff like that in that situation. I'm like, yeah, thanks. Yeah. The sky's not the limit because people have landed on the moon. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Depends so who you, I'll, depends I'll who never, you ask. I'll never be asked on yeah. the show again. What, yeah. what, what, what sort of saccharine uh, <laughs> aphorisms can we give? All right. So this is what I'm going with. I'm putting 30 points to passion. Okay. I'm putting 20 to tenacity. Yeah. I'm putting 15 to empathy. Mm-hmm. What do I have left here? I got to do some math. I'm day. like 35. I'm like now, Oh, I'm going to tip my own scales. I'm actually going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go 30 passion, 25 tenacity. All right, you're 55. And then I'm going to, I'm going to go 15, 15, 15. Cause I'm cool with the, those three actually being kind of balanced. I think that the passion and the tenacity is like a turbo. You're button. at 55 and then 15, 15, 15. No, is it 55? That's 70. Yeah, I got 30. You got it's 100. Okay. Is that 100? I okay. think so. Is that good? 15, 15, 15 is 30? I uh, went 30. <laughs> Come on, man. I went 30 and 25. Okay, got it. And, and then, then three 15s is 45. Okay. That is 100. Is that working? Yes. Does that get, yes. You, get you the math that you need? And you by, sure about that? Yes. I don't, want to, I don't want you to be worried about it. 55 plus 45 is 100. Am I correct? I, you know, or do I need just, to put a 25 and bring it up to 110? I, I thought it was 50, I thought it was 55 plus three 15s. I mean, what did I miss there? 55 plus three 15s is 100. Is it? Are you sure? Yes. Okay, just double checking. I, I, okay. You can put your shoes back on. <laughs> back to that part about not being invited back. Um, I get actually beads of sweat. Okay, as he was putting there are not beads on. of sweat, but I will be honest with you. I was like, okay, look, I'm yeah, I'm positive this is a hundred, <laughs> but. So instead of being the 110 guy, you're oh, going to be the, are you sure that yeah, adds I up just, to hundred? Exactly. I'm, I'm bucking never to come back. <sighs> well, By the way, my I, 25 well, well, looks well, more like a 28 and a nine had a baby. I'm not really sure. So, all right. All right so so, so we, we agree at least tenacity, be tough. Cause if you're going to be an entrepreneur, it's, you're, you're yeah. going to get, you're going to get smacked. And I th- yeah. Be, I, I would have, almost add, I would almost add a, a, a six category of like not giving a shit. Cause that's <laughs> like on some levels you can't, um, all right, so isn't it crazy? It's been over a hundred episodes since you were here because it didn't amazing. feel like that long. Congratulations! Ago. Thanks, thanks. One hundred ninety countries. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Hopefully, you're doing business in all of them, uh, um, and and hopefully, all the rest of you are too. Now, with that, we have something new that we do at the end of the shows now that we didn't do at episode one hundred, and we call it the Founders Freestyle. So what we realized is that due to the ADHD nature that the show takes on on many days, that sometimes we could have the ability to leave anything or everything unresolved. So you get a moment, you get as long as you want, you can really say anything. Like if you wanted to read the Gettysburg Address right now, that is within the rules just so happens, let, let me let me pull. No, pull don't, thing. don't. It's no. too long. Do you know the whole no. thing? I do know people that actually carry the Constitution with them around. Wow. Yeah. wow. And people for whom I have a tremendous amount of respect. Wow. Yeah, amazing, right? Wow. 
How many, but, but doesn't I, it require is, a lot of pocket space? It's actually a very, very small, small version. version. Yeah, exactly. I'm old. Uh, I can't see read that print that small. But uh, you can you can really yeah. say whatever you want. And like and Sandy, I think that so many people here in Kansas City and everywhere else, including myself, admire what you've done. I enjoy spending time with you because I always it always stimulates anything that I have to say. But I think any advice that you can give for for those in and around Kansas City or worldwide um, would would be awesome. Gosh, yeah. I advice is, uh, again, as I said, the older I get, the less I want to give advice because I know there's so many different ways to get things done. But we did the money back guarantee. Yeah. You know, my, um, I think the thing that I would recommend most, especially as it relates to culture is, um, act like everyone is watching because they are not, not out of vanity. I mean, every action that you take, everything that you do, everything that you say, pretend like the whole world is watching, do the right thing. If you do that, then you'll never have, you may not be successful, but you will not have any moral regrets. Wow. That's deep. You have to kind of wrap your arms around that a little bit. That was like the time when Lara Holt told me he was a coward. Oh yeah. I remember that story. That was a great yeah. Story. And, it, but it, but, and you know, it took a second to digest because I think that many times people will tell you to act like everyone isn't watching in order to increase your confidence. Mm. But I love the I love the play of yeah and doing the right thing and you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna just kind of parlay off of that um, I pride myself on giving good like the best advice like not self serving advice mm. to others and making decisions with and for my business partners my employees and my clients in mm -hmm. mind and I felt that over and by the way that's hard on some days because oh, yeah. it's easy to want to be selfish yeah. and it's easy to want to make the decisions that are in the best interest of you. And in the end, though, those decisions will burn you down. Yeah, they, and will. they really will burn you down because uh, eventually, like, exactly, they're going to all of a sudden your pant legs on fire, and you know now you're running around and and, and you talk about acting as if everyone is watching. If, if they weren't watching back. before, once your pants are on fire, they <laughs> will be watching. But but with that, I think in, I think in the end that you you really have to do that to build a business, a team, a culture. And a reputation that matters because if people start to believe that the decisions that you're making are only in the interest of you, then you will find that it's only you yeah. <laughs> and not other people around you that believe in you. And it doesn't mean that you have to get along with everyone. Like I don't have like some of the most beneficial and awesome moments in full scale history have been Watson and I not agreeing. Yeah. And, but we talk it out. And we figure it out. And then sometimes it's just, you know, but it's, it's, we get to the point where it's like, okay, this is, it's gotta be this triple win. It's, it's for the company, for our, our team members and for our clients, yeah. because if at any level, those burn to the ground, any one of the three, we're screwed. Yeah. So excellent points. Pretty, pretty simple. And then there's one other thing you were talking about songs at the campfire. Yeah. Not and you really are leaving it. today with your own copy of Mixtape the Game, oh, excellent. which Thank will you. let you very much revisit your favorite campfire songs. Really? Yeah, what's well, all about? I mean, really, with Mixtape, well, here, I'll give you an example. It's hard to play with two people, but you pull a card from the deck and yeah. you say, we would have to name a song. So dedicate a song to someone in the room and tell them why you chose your selection. I'm going with uh, Muskrat Love for you. For me? <laughs> oh, wow. I don't even know. <laughs> Was that Captain and Tennille? What, what, what was, who did Muskrat love? Oh, God, I don't that's even a, know. That's the only thing to pop to mind. So I think uh, we should probably turn this off now. Uh, I was going to, because you don't. I, I, can't, I can't top that. 
uh, you you're like dropping the mic and walking no, off after you're that's, uh, that's that's yeah, a very decorsy thing I, to do I, when I, playing mixtape yeah and i think you might just say well for you, for i, I kind of it's like highway to hell it what no it kind of makes me want to use fuck you by CeeLo green oh. <laughs> but but sandy lucky for you it's been banned from play Oh no! It's literally the skeleton key of mixtape. It it applies to any and any scenario. Let's test that. All right. Say so the next card. What's a documentary about you and your travels across Europe? Well, oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah it yeah, plays. So, well, if, fortunately for you, I don't have to really answer the question. Highway to hell isn't. No, actually, you know what? I'll go with "Thank You" by Led Zeppelin. We could, we could go. There you we go. could go back in black. Go. Right? Back in black. Another. I, I'm going with no. Getting, it's not Sandy, I'm, I, I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna gonna uh, eat the humble pie, and I'll say "Thank You" uh, by thank Led you Zeppelin because I'll tell you why. I really do appreciate that you come by to do this. You're super busy. Um, you, you got other things that you, you could do choose realize to do. my office and your office are like a hundred yards apart. <laughs> that doesn't so matter. Easy. Your office could be in my office. You still have a lot of shit to yeah. do. Um, and I appreciate that. And I, th- and I think that on behalf of the people that listen to the show, they really appreciate this as well. So with that, I'll let you go ahead and get back to whatever you need to do or Thanks, weren't brother. doing. Been a lot of fun. Thank you. See y'all next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle. We do it.